better partners be a better partner is one of a regular series of webinars from Globalocity to help companies improve and sustain their sales from distributors, sales agents, and other indirect channels. Globalocity is one of the premier sales channel consultancies in the country. Through their global team of consultants, they are a one-stop shop for your complete B2B, worldwide, indirect sales channel and distribution needs. Let me take a moment to briefly introduce today's presenters. I have Mike Hunter, Doris Nagel, and Stephen Dent joining us. Mike Hunter is Globalocity's chief strategist. He's an internationally recognized business development expert with nearly 40 years of experience helping more than 300 companies over that period to develop and deploy the architecture and processes for sales, marketing, channels to market, product management, and corporate alliance programs. Doris Nagel is CEO of Globalocity. She focuses on international expansion, channel management strategy and implementation, business processes, risk management, and compliance. She has more than 25 years of experience and is a frequent speaker, blogger, and podcast host, a former DePaul Law School adjunct professor, and a regular columnist for Global Trade Magazine. And then I also have Stephen. Stephen is a pioneer in partnering intelligence theory, research, and application. His first book, Partnering Intelligence, Creating Value for Your Business by Building Strong Alliances, describes the six partnering attributes and how smart partners build effective internal and external business alliances that create sustainable competitive advantage. This book was listed as one of the top 30 business books for the year 2000. He has over 25 years of experience helping companies improve performance and operating margins through strategy, quality, process, and partnership improvement methods. Prior to founding Partnership Continuum, Inc., Stephen was a partner and senior VP for Six Sigma Qualtech, where he delivered quality, process improvement, and partnership workshops. He is a popular, frequent keynote speaker. He has developed, validated, and highly effective assessments of partnering capabilities, along with customized workshops for organizations serious about improving the results of their partnerships and strategic alliances. Okay, so Doris, as we're going to start off with you, um, the floor is now yours. Thanks so much, Laura. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Thanks again for joining us. I hope everyone was able to access the PQ, or Partnering Quotient Assessment, and get their report. Uh, and if you haven't, I urge you to take advantage of this complimentary access as one of our webinar participants. So let's get underway. Here's a brief agenda. We'll talk very briefly about the importance of partnerships, then the importance of partnering skills, the partnering intelligence framework that Steve Dent developed, and how to assess and improve your partnering skills. And uh, although we'll, we, we may have some questions at the end, as Laura mentioned, we'd like to encourage you to ask your questions along the way. Uh, so that this is really informal and um, of value to, to each of you who are participating. So with that, the importance of partnering. I think most people intuitively understand this. Uh, those of you who have been on previous webinars understand and have seen our uh, growth strategy building block uh, construct. And today we're going to be talking about the partnering mindset uh, that's we we have had webinars in the past 
on a number of these or we'll have them in the future, but today's is really focused on partnering and a partnering mindset and talking about what we mean by that and why it's so absolutely critical. So, as I mentioned, I think most people intuitively understand why organizations need partners. Um, one study indicated that 83% of organizations depend on partners of some sort or other, uh, strategic alliances. Uh, the annual PricewaterhouseCoopers annual survey of CEOs says virtually every year uh, that more than half of CEOs say that forming new partnerships is a key growth strategy. Uh, a recent Forrester study said 85% of companies say partnerships are important or critically important. And this last point is worth touching on, I think, which is that internal cooperation, which is a partnership that uh, not many people talk about, but that Steve is going to touch on later, is absolutely critical for business success uh, in and of itself, but is absolutely essential to making your partnerships work more effectively as well. I think most people um, have seen there, there are a lot of successful partnerships or business alliances out there. Some of the more successful ones that most of us are familiar with are Ford and Eddie Bauer with their, uh, their line of designer um, interiors for Ford, Ford vehicles, the airplane uh, airline co-chair alliances. Um, Spotify and Uber is, is a partnership that's gotten a lot of great press and of course most of us are familiar with the, uh, the, the Starbucks that are in virtually every Barnes and Noble and those are some great examples of, of um, well-known partnering that's been successful. And you can see here, these, this is not all the reasons why, but there are lots of great reasons why partnering makes uh, a ton of sense in today's environment. The make or break dichotomy, or make or build, sorry, dichotomy um, is oftentimes in today's economy just frankly too slow. Um, and um, frankly, partnering is crucial because it's the only way they can generate new ideas fast enough, bring on new talent fast enough, and maneuver quickly enough in the marketplace. And in, in general, they're also lower risk and require lower investment than the make or build uh, options. Um, but when I say lower investment, I mean, of course, not no investment. The, right, the lack of investment or the lack of the right investment is something Steve is going to talk about and can be pretty disastrous. So a lot of partnerships, although they're critical, don't really deliver the results and depending on who you believe and how they measure it, um, studies consistently show that a very high percentage of strategic alliances just fail to deliver, up, deliver uh, and live up to their promised results and even if you take an average of these numbers, um, it's well over half uh, and the result is frankly a shocking waste of human capital and money and much of it is avoidable, which is what Steve is going to talk about. So why such a disconnect? Their partnerships are critical and important to everybody, but they don't often don't work very well. So we're going to talk now about why such a disconnect and what businesses can and should do to improve 
the chances of success with their partnerships. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to our distinguished guest presenter, Stephen Dent. So, Steve, the floor is now yours. Well, thank you, Doris. Um, what a nice introduction, and a welcome to this webinar. Um, the first thing I'm going to start off with is the definition of a partnership. Everybody has a different idea of what a partnership is. Everybody has a different idea of what an alliance is. And so I found it useful to come up with a definition of exactly what is a partnership. And so my definition of a partnership is when two or more people need to work together to accomplish a goal while building trust in a mutually beneficial relationship. Now before we change on to the next slide, I, I want to just dissect this sentence a little bit and talk about what does it really mean. Well, alliances and strategic partnerships, partnerships of any form, whether it's a personal partnership in your personal life or whether it's a partnership between two um, international conglomerates, um, they're doing this to accomplish a goal. We're trying to do something which I refer to often as a task. We're trying to accomplish a task to achieve a goal. So we're working together. But embedded in that is the need to build trust and a mutually beneficial relationship. And why is that true? Why, why do we need to build, build trust in a mutually beneficial relationship? Well, it depends on the level of your partnership, first of all. But in fact, in the research that I have done, um, almost all partnerships fail because they either don't build trust or they don't have mutually beneficial relationships. A quick story. I used to work for the telephone company, Northwestern Bell, here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And in 1984, as you're probably aware or may not even be aware, um, the government deregulated the telephone company, they deregulated AT&T, AT&T broke their local uh, regional bell operating companies into uh, sort of seven, they referred to them as baby bells, and uh, the one that I got, the one that geographically I was a part of, um, was Northwestern Bell, Mountain Bell, and Pacific Northwest Bell. So it was just this weird conglomeration of 14 western states. And amazingly, each of these Bell operating companies, even though they had standardized practices throughout the system, their cultures were slightly different. It was also a time when telephone companies, telcos, were really uh, concerned about um, people coming in and stealing their business which, you know, it's taken three decades, but that slowly has happened. And at the same time, the telephone companies were having major disagreements with their local unions. And so my boss came to me at that time. I was um, uh, the head of organizational development. My boss came to me and said, you know, Steve, if you want to continue working for the telephone company, you got to figure out how to get these union vice president, union presidents, and district presidents, and our directors and vice presidents working together to serve the company. This is where I first started getting interested in partnerships, um, mostly to keep my job, but I'm also an organizational psychologist, so it gave me a lot of pause to think about what do we need to do 
to get people to work well together and to accomplish a goal. And so I set out doing a whole series of, um, of meetings um, and going out and asking union officers and company directors throughout our 14 states, you know, basically what is it going to take for you folks to get along? And it really came down to this very two simple items. For us to work well together to accomplish a goal, we have to trust each other and there has to be benefits for both of our organizations if we're going to continue to do this. I really was impressed with the number of times that that came up over and over and over again that it really became the basis of my philosophy on building partnerships. If you really want to be able to have a, a really good partnership, a really solid and successful strategic alliance, there has to be trust and mutual benefits in order to accomplish a goal together. Now, what types of partnerships are there? Um, well, I'm going to start off with the internal partnership. I think the internal partnership is the most critical partnership your business can have. If your sales department and engineering department are not working well together, if marketing is not working well with design, uh, you're going to have problems um, not only internally, but also externally. The reason is because external partners are very smart and they can figure out exactly where dissonance is happening within an organization and they can start to divide and conquer. So if you're going to go out and form an external partnership, um, you better have your internal act together because if you don't, your external partners will figure that out fairly quickly and take advantage of that. So you start with your internal partnerships, external partnerships. Um, I list three different kinds of external partnerships. Uh, transactional, tactical, and strategic. Um, transactional are your um, least important partnerships. What you should have with a transactional partner is a good lawyer um, because it is a transaction based on a contract. And there is absolutely absolutely no need in spending a whole lot of time developing a lot of strategic plans or relationship development with a transactional partner because as soon as the transaction looks better someplace else they're going to flee there is no loyalty. A tactical partner is just a little bit higher on the scale here and I describe a tactical partner as somebody who integrates part of their business process with your business process. And so there is a higher degree of, a lie, of reliance on a tactical partner. And so a tactical partner really deserves more of your attention. It deserves more of your effort in building a true relationship and, it's, and you're going to spend more time developing that relationship with a tactical partner. A strategic partner, it's critical that you develop a really strong relationship with a strategic partner. So the first little anecdote that I'm going to share with you is my very first um, experience in moving into the world of partnerships between um, international, two international organizations. 
Um, I live in Minneapolis, and at one time we had an airline here until it was bought by Delta called Northwest Airlines. And Northwest Airlines had a really great um, structure, uh, uh, flight structure, within the United States. Um, they had a couple flights over to Amsterdam. That was pretty much about it, but they did go over to um, Asia. They went to uh, uh, Japan and uh, Shanghai. So they had quite, quite, a, quite a good Asian uh, flight structure as well, but not very much in Europe. Um, except for, like I said, they did have flights to Amsterdam. And so Northwest wanted to be able to expand their ability to um, utilize Amsterdam, Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam, as sort of a jumping off uh, 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 point for American tourists going and business people going to Europe. So they um, asked me to work with them to develop a, 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 a partnership with KLM, the Royal Dutch Airline, um, to see if there were any interest in, um, in, in forming this um, code share, which was a fairly new uh, thing happening in the early, mid-1990s, um, once computers became more prevalent in running airline businesses, it became more practical to be able to do that. So we did develop um, a, a business plan and a partnership between Northwest Airlines and KLM, but it started off just as code sharing. It started off just like, okay, I can fly from Omaha, Nebraska to Minneapolis and catch a plane to Amsterdam and then fly on to Berlin. Um, and, and it worked very well, and for the first couple years, that was about the limit of the partnership. Um, a couple years later, they started to notice that um, there could be other um, cost benefits to the two airlines. For example, shared warehousing, um, shared stock in terms of paper stock and ticket, ticket, uh, ticket uh, printing and those kinds of things, um, meals uh, for the airlines. Um, so they started to uncover a whole lot of benefits. Um, between um, uh, KLM and Northwest Airlines. Over time, what happened was um, they actually sat down and did some strategic planning, some long-term joint strategic planning to say how Northwest and KLM could begin to integrate even further their operations and increasing their profitability. Um, at one point, um, you would go up to a Northwest ticket counter and there would be a KLM logo right next to it. And so you began to see these two cultures coming together. Even today with Delta Airlines, you will see a KLM logo. That partnership has sustained itself for more than two decades. And how did that do that? Well, they started very slowly. They started to build trust between themselves. They started to explore the benefits. And then ultimately, they moved to joint strategic planning. So that was, um, that was a very important uh, par first partnership that I worked on. Um, partnerships can happen two different ways. Um, most partnerships, I would dare say, happen by evolution, and that is the two CEOs or department heads or whatever get together and they go, oh, wouldn't this be a great idea if we could partner? And both partners say, yeah, let's, let's do this. This is an awesome idea. 
Um, and it just sort of evolves over time. And that is probably um, the most common way that partnerships occur. And it's also probably the most common way why they fail. Because there is no intentionality put towards that partnership. I believe in partnerships by design. Uh, partnerships by design are really um, far more successful because thought is put to how that partnership should be built. And there are critical steps that need to happen in order to ensure that the partnership will last through time. So let's, uh, let's see why there's such a disconnect. Well, generally there's a disconnect because we lack self-knowledge about ourselves. We're not really sure how to put together a partnership. There's really no book out there with the exception of mine um, that says, how do you build a partnership? Well, yeah, okay. Let's think about how do you build a partnership? And we're not finding the right partnerships or the right partners. And there's inadequate relationship governance. There's not enough um, governance in, the, in building the relationship. So um, why is there such a disconnect? The lack of governance um, uh, framework is often incomplete or poorly educated. Governance principles are not implemented. Um, there's certainly a lack of accountability, especially if there's no trust um, and poor conflict management and relational skills. I cannot even begin to express to you how important these relational skills are. They're either missing or weak. And I think a lot of folks have a real misconception around what relationship skills are. I think a lot of folks think relational skills are, you know, meeting at the pub and throwing back a few pints maybe, or, you know, going out on the golf links or the squash courts and, you know, playing some games together. For me, that's not really what relational skills are, and um, I'm going to go into exactly what I think relational skills are, but uh, relational skills are more um, important, more critical, and more definable than let's just see if we like each other and get along. Um, so I'd like to uh, talk a little bit more about why uh, it's important that you, use, that you use a framework. And what I would tell my, my clients um, is you don't need to use my framework. I don't really care what framework you use. Use a framework. Because um, if you just allow your partnership to evolve, you will find that there will be a problems down the road. But if you think ahead and if you create these partnerships intentionally, then there, that improves the probability that that won't happen to you. And I look at it from two different ways. I look at it from what are the partnering skills that I need? And what are the relational skills that underscore the partnering skills that I need? These are two very different things, and yet they work in conjunction with each other. You can't have great relational skills without partnering skills, and you can't have partnering skills without great relational skills. So these two continue to reinforce each other and build on the success of the alliance. Um, 
Partnering intelligence framework is um, a very predictable and scientifically validated skills. Um, I've been doing this for more than, well, 35 years. Um, and I can assure you that um, there is a, a lot of different ways to approach partnerships. Um, but when you can get predictability and understand the scientifically based reasons why these skills are needed, then you will be a, a, a far ahead of the team. Um, I understand that uh, some of you may have taken my PQ assessment. Um, the PQ assessment is designed to help you uh, determine how well you use the relational skills. What it really tells you is the frequency of use around those relational skills. Um, and this is something that um, I want to stress, and that is partnering skills can be learned. These are skills that any human being, regardless of their culture, can use. I have used this in Europe, I have used this in Asia, I have used this in North South America um, and Africa. Every place I have gone, um, these skills are recognized and used in building partnerships. And why? The reason is because these are not based on cultural nuances. These are based on core human psychological principles that exist in all human beings regardless of where they live. So let me give you an example. Nobody in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia wants to be lied to. Nobody in Berlin, Germany wants to be cheated. These are human skills. These are human um, relational skills that people understand worldwide. And that is what the PQ assessment is based on. I'm going to go into my model, and I'm going to go into the model in um, some detail. Um, I'm sure that Doris and Mike would be able to give you um, more information about the model. Um, but you'll notice that there are four sections in the model. Um, the top area is what I call the stages of partnership development. So within the stages of, the part, part, uh, of partnership development, you've got an access, an explore, initiate, and a commit stage. Now, under each of those categories, if you will, there are some specific actions that need to be taken in order for you to get to sort of what I would call a successfully built um, partnership. The assess stage is extremely critical and often overlooked. People think they know what they want in a partnership, but in fact, I'm amazed at how many organizations kind of intuitively know they want a partnership, but they're not exactly sure exactly what that partnership should be or who it should be with, what should, what should we be accomplishing. Yeah, we want to increase sales or distribution reach or something, but we just really don't know. So the assess stage is critical in helping you and your organization figure out why the heck you're doing this to start with. Because I'm going to tell you, the partnering strategy is the most difficult strategy any organization can engage in. It is the most difficult, and the reason it's the most difficult is because you're dealing with people. 
and people are difficult. So it's really easy to go out and buy another corporation to get your needs met, or it's really easy to go out and, um, and learn a new technology and train your people on it. Um, that's sort of an easy way to accomplish uh, getting your needs met. But when you're partnering with another organization, it's really like a marriage. And I always hated that, um, uh, that uh, sort of imagery. Um, but in fact, the more I think about it, the more I really do think it's like a marriage. You're bringing together two different cultures with two different ways of viewing things and two different perspectives of the world. And you're asking them to create a baby. And that baby is the partner, uh, the partnership, excuse me, the baby is the partnership. And the baby isn't just like the dad, and the baby isn't just like the mom or Corporation A or Corporation B. It's sort of this mixture of DNA of the two organizations that produce new, a new thing, a new creation that is you know, unique and innovative and creative and different from either of the original organizations. That's very hard for a lot of organizations to sort of get their mind around and not only get their mind around but embrace. So partnerships can be very threatening when they start to encroach on the cultural norms of one organization or another because you've created this sort of monster that's different than both organizations. So you really need to understand, do you want to partner? Is that really the, the strategy you want to engage in? And once you've determined partnership is the strategy you want to engage in, you need to start off with creating a partnering team. And that partnering team needs to incorporate every organization that's going to be impacted by that by that partnering team um, and um, and you need to bring those people in and you need to um, to, to, un to have them understand what you're trying to go for you need to conduct some form of an internal assessment to figure out why are you doing this you need to develop your own company's strategic framework around why are you partnering, what is the mission of the partnership, what is the vision of the partnership, what strategies do you want to engage in. You need to understand your own needs. Why are you doing this? What are my objectives and what are my measurement systems that are going to help me uh, understand if I can reach those objectives? And then I always encourage folks to do it, uh, to summarize a, uh, a result so that you have a, a page or two you can hand out to potential partners in the future. In the explore stage, you're really looking for the right partner. So you go out and you try and identify the right partners. You need to understand what does that partner need? Why is that partner out looking? Why is that potential partner out there looking for another partner? What is it that they need? Are there areas of win-win? Can we develop a mutual strategic framework? So in other words, we get together and build our own strategic framework of, of, of the partnership and then so important, develop relational and operational guidelines. Now, these two points are so critical. Um, I'll share a quick story with you. Um, I was called to Nashville, Tennessee um, one afternoon um, and was told by a 
in-home healthcare organization. They had nurses and other healthcare specialists that went out to people who were homebound to, to take care of them. And they contacted me and they had formed a partnership about a year prior to this with a mail order pharmaceutical distributor, the largest in the United States, headquartered just outside of New York City. And um, they said, help us. We're about ready to be dragged to court for $10 million because this partnership is failing. And we've been working at this for nine months. We haven't done anything. We can't communicate. We can't get along. We cannot, we cannot move forward. And now we're going to divorce court, and this is going to be expensive. Can you help us? So I sort of sat down with them, and I brought their team together, their partnering team, and I had them go through what I just told you to go through, and that is, you know, what is your vision of this partnership? What is the mission of this partnership? And what, what strategies do you want to engage in? And I got all that documented. It took me about a two, two days, you know, six hours a day in a, in, a, in a conference room somewhere. Then I flew to New York and did the same thing with the pharmaceutical company did exactly the same thing. You know, what, what is your vision? What is, what is your, you know, not sharing any information, but understanding what the pharmaceutical company wanted. And then we came together for a three-day joint mission, uh, uh, meeting, I'm sorry. And each partner showed their vision, their mission, and their strategic dire directions. And it became so eye-opening to the leaders of these two organizations that there was major disconnects between what the healthcare organization thought and what the uh, pharmaceutical company thought. But the good news is, after a couple days, they began to integrate those, and they finally came up with a joint strategic framework along with operational and relational guidelines. So they began to really form a true partnership. I checked with them about a year ago. This happened in 2011, I believe. I checked in with them about a year ago. They're doing now about $20 million worth of sales annually. The goal was to get the, um, the in-house uh, uh, health practitioners to sell the mail order uh, pharmaceutical products to their customers. And now it's like this huge success and kiss kiss all over. Um, but it was just their lack of sitting down and talking about the strategic framework and how they're going to operate together, which I think would be Doris's word for governance. Um, in the initiate stage, you try something small. I, you know, I worked with AT&T and British Telecom, and they, you know, they wanted to boil the, the Atlantic Ocean, and it fell apart two years later in, in, in divorce court. Um, cost both organizations really millions and millions of dollars. I always suggest you start on something small. Do something small together to make sure you can work together, to make sure you can build trust, okay? Um, start communicating your objectives. Document those things. Check on progress, and not just on how well you're doing, doing on the task, but also how well are you doing on the relationship. 
and then review for uh, success, failures, or improvements. And then as you move to the commit stage, um, you're really going to want to determine how deep do you want this relationship to go. And if you really want to go the entire way, um, you really have to sit down and seriously talk about um, uh, developing a mutual strategic plan. And that really then leads to the next and final step, which is integrating the partnership within the culture of the organizations. So those are the steps on building your partnership. Um, but underlying that, and just as important, is Tuckman's model of form, storm, norm, and perform. And what we've done at Partnership Continuum is we have, um, we have sort of taken what would be described as a descriptive model, and that is I could describe whether you're in the form stage or the storm stage, um, and turn it into a prescriptive model, which means that I can do something to help me accelerate through these normal stages of relationship development. Everybody, everywhere will go through these stages. Don't kid yourself, you will. Because when you first come together, you're forming. And there are specific behaviors that occur in a form stage. People are reserved. They sort of step back. They sort of look around to see what's in it for them. Why are they here? They're really maybe not participating too much. So the first partnering attribute you're going to use is your self-disclosure and feedback. Self-disclosure is, this is what I need. Feedback is, this is how your needs impact me. So we have to be able to open that communication channel for really authentic communication between the partners. Here's what you want. Here's what you need. Here's how, what you need impacts me. Here's what I want, what I need. How does that impact you? And we begin to build on these as we move through the stages of relationship development. So as we move into the storm stage, which we will move into, um, you need to understand your win-win orientation. Now, all human beings are wired from birth for fight or flight. We're just like any other creature on this planet. And so Thomas Kilman's model on conflict resolution is all about fight or flight. They're all embedded into our psyche, um, really deep in our brains, uh, that some people would say in your brain stem cell, um, to either fight a conflict or a disagreement or to run away from it. And so the four standard um, styles of conflict, which would be fight, avoidance, um, harmonizing or uh, compromising are all some form of fight or flight. As you begin to understand yourself and your own way of dealing with differences, um, there is a fifth way. It's called the win-win way. It's based on needs negotiations. So you have needs, I have needs. Let's negotiate how we're going to get those needs met. Um, and so once you're able to move out of the innate style of conflict resolution into the only learned style of conflict resolution, you're able to get to that win-win. Very important, because if you use any other style of conflict resolution, what is going to happen is that conflict will not go away. It'll only reemerge in a different form. Also, you have to have the ability to trust. 
If you can't trust your partner when you're disagreeing, then there's going to be problems down the road, and that should be a warning to you that this is not going to end up well. As you move into the norm stage, um, you begin to build on self-disclosure feedback, ability to trust and win-win with, can I change? I find it amazing that people want to form partnerships but then don't want to do anything differently. Well, then why the heck are you forming a partnership? You have to be a willing and able to change if you want to be in a partnership. And if you're in a partnership and your company boss says, yeah, but we've always done it this way and we don't want to change, guess what? You have a past orientation, so you're not future orientated and you're uncomfortable with change. And then finally, when you get to the perform stage, again, you're building on the other five with comfort with interdependence. I am, um, I, I am okay being interdependent with you. Now, I'm going to stop right here for just a second and ask, are there any questions that you would like? I've just dumped a whole lot of information on you. So is there any questions you'd like to ask me? Hi there, Stephen. We are, I'm monitoring the uh, questions panel, but we have a quiet bunch here and no one's really jumped in quite yet, but I do. Uh, well, we yeah. only have like four well, more minutes, so I'll just move on. Okay, and I'll keep monitoring it and let you know if, if someone speaks up. Okay. Okay, so uh, no questions? That's really, that's such a compliment to me. I must have explained myself really well. <laughs> okay, so the next uh, slide is, um, what if you could bridge that disconnect? Um, the partnering intelligence framework enables you to bridge that disconnect um, through that, um, I'm sorry, um, the next one is a partnering skills enhancement. So the next thing we're going to want to talk about is... Um, uh, sorry, Steve, just to let you know, I'm having trouble advancing the slide, so um, I'm not sure uh, why there's a glitch here, but, um, but uh, I don't know. Laura, you might want to um, put your deck up and see or, or switch uh, controls just to see if that can help it unstick this. Okay, I'm going to give that a shot. And let me just try passing it right back over, Doris, and see if that will work out for you to, to reload it. If not, we'll just advance through my slides. There we go. Looks like that's going to work. Okay, so how to improve your uh, the benefits of better partnering. Um, um, Partner uh, skill enhancement, um, we teach you how to be better partners and how do we teach you how to, I guess it's stuck again, um, how do we teach you how to be uh, better partners? Well, first of all, um, there's ways to, to, to improve each of those partnering skills. Each of those six attributes um, you can improve. Um, these are learned skills and um, you can learn how to improve those skills. Um, how do you start? Well, uh, we start with the PQ assessment, and, and for you personally, and for within your organizations, you know, it's always start with yourself. Understanding yourself is so important in this life. Understanding your team, and then understanding uh, your partnering's team. 
Uh, make sure that you get coaching and mentoring on the partnering framework. And uh, in conclusion, um, your partnerships are key to your success. And when Doris said partnerships are critical, I'm going to support Doris 100% on that. Every organization I've ever talked to um, wants to partner. Some of them do, some of them don't. But they are a critical strategy. Don't wait for things to go bad. Start off by doing things right. Um, try the assessment with you and your team and your partnering's team. And then um, if you're interested, you can certainly contact um, Globalocity for more information about partnering intelligence. Um, at that, I am going to end my part of the conversation. So I will turn this, if there are no questions, I'll turn this over to uh, Doris. Thanks so much, Steve. I, Laura, I don't know if there are any questions coming in. Um, if there are, by all means, jump in. But uh, I, I'd like to ask Steve a question. I know a number of our participants on the webinar are quite interested and have a lot of um, involvement in expanding internationally. And it seems to me that um, the things you're talking about are really quite difficult to do effectively, even among companies with the same national culture. Um, can you comment on, on partnering skills, particularly in the international cross-cultural um, kind of arena? Because it seems to me these, these skills are, you have the issues in spades when you are also dealing with cultural differences. Um, obviously, cultural differences make, um, make things even more difficult. Um, I, have, um, I have one example um, I'll use. Um, it is um, Mitsubishi Motors in Japan and Proton um, automobile manufacturers in Malaysia. So here's a Malaysian automobile manufacturer that doesn't have the capability of creating um, transmissions. And um, they needed to go outside and work with another company that was able to build transmissions that would be compatible to Proton cars. Um, and they, they, they went to several different companies and they finally uh, decided that Mitsubishi was going to be their, um, their company of choice that they were going to really try and partner with. And even though both Malaysia and Japan are Asian or, uh, countries, um, their cultures are very, very, very different. Um, and so having the framework that I, as a North American, brought to, um, to the negotiating table, it gave them commonality to begin to build on. And really, in international relationships, being able to not focus on our differences, but being able to focus on what we have in common um, is a, an excellent first way to start. And when you have a model that's presented that both parties can buy into, you have commonality that you can begin to overcome those cultural differences. Thanks for that. Um, Mike, any questions from your end? You've been no, but, uh, I, I do want to make an observation, and maybe uh, uh, Steve can uh, uh, talk to it. Uh, 
a lot of you have been to our webinars before, and uh, I'd just like to emphasize that sometimes when we're dealing with uh, more sophisticated channel uh, programs, you, you get actually into multiple partnerships. <clears throat> For instance, where you're trying to get engineering all right, to work more closely with the distributor who's also uh, trying to work more effectively with the R&D at a, at a, a client base. Uh, these skill sets can get quite sophisticated and require a much broader uh, level of internal uh, education. Uh, Steve, do you have any examples on you know, things you've worked on where it's a good deal more complex in the dynamics of the partnership? Mm. So um, one example that I might uh, point out is um, uh, Nokia. The, um, back when Nokia was really uh, deep into the uh, mobile phone handset business, um, they uh, partnered with and I think ultimately bought the Siemens Network Organization, um, and um, and they had real difficulties. Of course, there's some you know historic animosity between the Dutch and the I'm sorry the Germans and the and the Finns, um, and um, and so sort of what we decided to do in that example was to take whole teams of people and train whole, whole teams of people, both Finns and Germans, um, and there were some Danes in there as well, um, and train them on the same uh, partnering skills so that they all understood or had a, a platform to operate from that was consistent across the organization. And as they began to train more and more people um, around using these advanced partnering skills, um, they were able to overcome the complexities of all of those various organizations, Mike, um, whether it was research and development or whether it was, you know, a manufacturing facility in China or whether it was, a, a you know, a, 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 a design facility in Dortmund. I mean, they all had to work together to get the whole system to operate. And what they found was the most successful way of doing that was giving consistent and alike training to folks so that they had that common platform to operate on. Yeah, that's that's why your emphasis on is having a process that you can uh, you can repeat, uh, or at least you could agree on with somebody who hasn't necessarily um, you know got an internal process for for managing these more complex relationships. Yeah. Yep, that's right. Steve, you know, I, I think one of the most intriguing parts of the model is the assess stage um, and and your focus on self-disclosure. I think, you know, if you would ask most people in business, they'd say, you'd ask them, are you good at partnering? They'd say, absolutely. You know, I, we're, I'm, I'm a, always a team player. Um, what do you have to say about that? I mean, any comments? Any any thoughts about how to dig a little deeper beyond that for for people? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, of of course we think we're great partners, um, and uh, and and that's genuine and authentic. Um, but I always do chuckle because in fact most of us are not good partners. Um, most of us, in fact, are really looking out after ourselves. Um, we are uh, in, a, in a culture where um, individualism is extremely strong. 
Um, we live in a culture where um, meritocracy is rewarded. So I'm going to I'm going to be better than my buddy over there because if if I do if I do if I am better I'll get rewarded. Um, and so we really do look out after number one. And I would have to say that it's very rare that um, you find organizations that have what I have coined a partnering culture. And that is because most organizations are really individual, individually focused and, com and highly competitive internally. Um, and once you start to put those dynamics together in an organization, uh, the people begin to react that way. I mean, and if you think about a CEO of any business, a CEO has to be highly competitive to get to where they're going. A CEO has to be, you know, almost cutthroat. And, 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 that, and that kind of mindset filters down through the organization. It's just like, it's almost like family dynamics, you know. The children are like mom and dad. Um, and and so that that all begins to filter down through the organization, and um, and so we begin to, to value um, not being a good partner, but being a good contributor and individual. Um, and so moving into this mindset of caring as much about my partner's success as I care about my own success is a real leap of faith, I'd have to say, for many, 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 many people. Um, they just simply don't believe it. Um, and, um, and, and it's going to be really hard to change that mindset because that mindset is a cultural mindset that's embedded in the organization. And in fact, um, my third book called Powerhouse Partners um, was, is, is really all about partnering cultures. And that is how do you how do you transform a business culture from being one that's individually focused and highly competitive for its own success into a culture that truly values not only its internal partnerships but values its external partnerships to the point where it's as important that my external partner succeeds as it is that I succeed. And again, you know, it, it's, it's, it's this whole mind shift that is a very, very difficult um, thing to accomplish. Well, and Steve, I think you alluded to this with your analogy about the CEO. Um, and obviously the, the environment where uh, lots of people lose their jobs in waves, I mean, People are terrified, you know, they don't want to look, you want to look better than the next person next to you uh, because who knows when when the whack-a-mole exercise is going to, you know, it, it, it go into effect again. So, uh, but, but I think you alluded to something that's really critical, which is that the change really has to start at the top in order for partnerships to truly be successful. It does, and um, and and what I would say, if there are any CEOs listening to this, um, what I would say is it's really incumbent on you to create the uh, the partnering um, a culture, um, and it just can't be flowery words that flow from your mouth. It has to be demonstrated through actions, because there is that old adage: 
actions speak louder than words, and I think that's a true adage. People don't listen to what you say; they listen to they they watch what you do, and then they mimic. I'll just say mom or dad's behavior because they know that's what they're going to get rewarded to do. And so if mom or dad, our CEO or my department vice president, you know, behaves differently, then I'm going to behave like them because that's how I'm going to get rewarded. You know, there was this organizational study of IBM that when Tom Watson Sr. was CEO of that organization that um, I think really demonstrated this whole dynamic within organizations. Dear Thomas Watson Sr. wore blue suits, white shirt, and a red tie to work every day. The people that got promoted in IBM wore blue suits, white shirts, red ties every day. <laughs> Guess what people at IBM started wearing? And why do you think the name Big Blue came out that way? <laughs> Interesting. So it's a, it's a very strong dynamic in organizations. Unfortunately, I believe most leaders don't understand it. They don't want to buy it, and they don't want to acknowledge their responsibility in creating organizational culture. Well, that's a very provocative comment that I hope uh, generates some offline discussion. Um, I think we're really about out of time. Laura, do you want to um, just uh, wrap things up for our participants? Yes, absolutely. Thank you uh, so much, Stephen, for sharing your time and expertise with us. Um, it was fascinating to hear your examples of successful and failing partnerships to sort of illustrate uh, better and, and best practices for partnering. So thank you again for your time. Also um, want to extend a thank you to Doris and Mike for being on this webinar and moderating um, and participating with the questions here. So um, also finally thank you to all of our participants for joining us here and we hope that you can also join us at our next webinar which is happening on November 15th and the webinar is called The Intersection of Product Management and Channel Management. So to find out more about this and to register, please visit our website, globalocityservices.com. So again, if you have any additional questions uh, uh, for, for us or for Stephen, please do reach out to us via email or phone number or through the website. And once again, uh, thank you all for being here. That's all for today. Have a good one. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.